Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless you and we honor you in this house. Now, before you're seated, we're going to ask the Lord's blessing upon this particular time together. His word is already blessed because it is his word. But what we're going to ask the Lord to do is that he would open up our ears, that we may take the blessed seed and it may enter deeply into our heart. Because the power of this word is transformative. There's transforming power in the Word of God. It's just not something that will stir you. It's not something that will simply encourage you. It will initiate if you receive it. It has the power to initiate change and transformation. Now, how many would want the Word to do that in your life? How many can think of a few areas that I need change? I need change. I need transformation. We all do. Let's agree. Father, in the name of Jesus, even as we hear the brief testimony of what you're doing in Frederick and Tiffany's life, we just celebrate the fact it is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. But Lord, now we give ourselves to, to this moment I come against any distraction, no foul of the air robbing seed out of this house. May every life come under the auspices and the power of the Holy Spirit. May bondages go, healings come, minds be enlightened that we might be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We declare the kingdom of God is here and we give you all praise and we give you all glory and we give you all thanks. And I thank you personally, Lord, that I am standing here this Sunday in this pulpit and now I yield my faculties to you, Lord Jesus. Would you graciously speak through me, direct even my thoughts, and I give you praise for the honor to be able to share the word of God with my family in Jesus name somebody say amen. amen you may have a seat it's yeah it's been a few years in fact I'll give you a testimony I left here the last time I I left here I landed in Washington DC because I had an appointment and it was going to be the first official date of God with, with a woman God brought in my life. And next month, we're going to be selling four ye celebrating four years of marriage. That's right. How many know that date turned out pretty good? But it is a joy and honor to be with you always. Since the last time we were here, the Lord uh, moved on my heart before everything happened with the pandemic and all that, I was to officially establish uh, 
a ministry entity. I've pastored for 25 years and uh, 10 years up in Boston, a city church up in Boston, 10 years Pennsylvania, five years on Long Island. And then the word of the Lord came to my life oh, a good number of years ago, 1999, that he was releasing me to the body at large. And God was actually releasing me out of the pastorate to the body at large. And that was a major transition. It's not one that I received quickly, but God in his grace continued to confirm that word for the major transition. And since then it has been my pleasure, my honor to be released to the body at large to strengthen my brethren. But two years ago the Lord laid on my heart to officially establish an entity. It's called Sound of the Trumpet Ministries. As a result of a prophetic word, he said, I've called you to sound a trumpet. Three specific areas. The trumpet is an instrument, as you well know, anyone that's been in this house for any length of time, you're well taught. The trumpet, unlike other instruments, was not simply an instrument of praise, but it was an instrument chosen of God to accomplish some things. And there's three areas of the trumpet that the Lord has, used, has given me grace to see these things accomplished. First of all, the trumpet released the sound that brought unity. The sound that brought unity. Three times a year, as you know in the Old Testament, there were three major feast days and then there were all the sub-feasts but what initiated the beginning of the feast days was the sound of the trumpet. And at the sound of the trumpet, Israel would come together to celebrate in that feast day. It was a unifying sound. But it was a unifying sound, not just to unify God's people, but to unify them around God's purpose. And that's a big difference. When Nehemiah came to Jerusalem because the city was, had been literally ravished by the enemy and it was time to rebuild. Someone say rebuild. Restore, rebuild. God sent a man, Nehemiah, and he took that demoralized remnant that was surrounded by devastation and the effects of what the enemy did. And God sent a man with a vision. And he gave them a vision that was greater than the vision they were seeing things as they are, he gave them a vision of how things could be and will be if they were to get involved in the vision. And let me just say this here, God's got a vision for every one of your lives, not as you are, but as he saw you before you ever were. Can you say amen? amen. And the way to get there is through a relationship with God through Christ. One of the reasons why it's called a walk is because we're going somewhere. We're journeying. We're going on to destiny. We're going on to maturity and become the full blossom of what God has called for our lives. God wants every one of your lives to blossom in his divine purpose. And so it says that Nehemiah appointed a man with a trumpet and at the sound of the trumpet, 
the people came together on the wall, or let me say, in God's purpose. And so the sound of the trumpet is God unifying God's people around his purpose. Secondly, it was to awaken God's people, awaken the army to, to indicate it's time for war. Even this day, I mean, no, they don't wake up the military by having the viol violinists get up at four o'clock in the morning. It's the trumpet. The violin, man, it'll soothe your, it'll soothe you. I mean, it, it, it just, it will, it will bring you to, but the trumpet will wake you up. And so it's a wake-up call. And if there's anything we need today, it's to be awakened to what God is doing. We need an awakening in America. We need an awakening in the church. We need the sound of that trumpet in that regard. And thirdly, probably the most significant trumpet sound was something Jesus referred to. When he went into the temple after 40 days in fasting, when he overcame the temptations of Satan, he went right into the temple, found the place in Isaiah chapter 61, and said, and the, for the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me. And he continued to talk about what he was anointed for. And then he said, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It's the proclamation of the year of Jubilee. And the Jubilee year was the most anticipated year on the Jewish calendar because it was a year of complete restoration. Slaves were free. People received their inheritances that had been lost and they were, they were, it was a time of celebration like none other. And it happened every 50 years. Not every generation got a chance to hear that sound. But after 49 Sabbath years, on the 50th year, the Day of Atonement, the trumpet would sound. And when they heard that trumpet throughout the camp, they know it was the sound of freedom. We're liberated. And ultimately, that's the gospel sound. Can you say amen? amen? We have a liberating message, and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But the Lord told me, those, through air, those three areas, wherever I send you, you're to unify God's people around what I'm saying, what I'm doing. There's to be a sound of awakening. Wake up the mighty men. Wake up the body of Christ. And thirdly, thirdly, there is to be a sound of freedom and a sound of liberation. And I am believing God and expecting for all three dimensions to happen. Right now, it's happening. You know, let me just say this before we just dive into what God's really placed on my heart. How many know that God had a law for everything? God has, and I'm going to say a law, I don't mean it in the sense that sometimes when we hear the word law, we think about, uh, you know, the do's and don'ts. God has an instruction for everything and how things to be done, a pattern for everything. And he had laws. There were laws of agriculture. There were laws concerning shepherding. There were laws concerning giving. There were laws concerning marriage. I'm talking about God's laws. In fact, the real problems that we have is because we deviate. We don't respect God's pattern. And you know what we think? We think 
We need miracles as the problem solver, but what we need to is return to God's ways. Come on. And many people live from miracle to miracle when God is simply saying, I want you to come into my ways and then you'll get the fruit of my ways. Come on. But it will involve change. Well, you know, God had a law for how to enter into the house and worship. It says these words in Ezekiel 46. He said, for when the people of the land come together for to worship and they gather in the feast. Now, this is very unusual. It says, he that cometh and entereth in by the north gate shall leave by the south gate. And he that entereth by the south gate shall leave by the north gate. For he shall not leave by the way in which he entered. So God said, you know, you, if you come through that door, you've got to go out that door. You come to, you got to go out through that door. I said, what are you saying? And here's what the Lord said to me. He said, because whenever my people come to worship, I'm the myth and I don't expect them to leave the same way they came. Can you say amen? So I don't know what door. You might have come through the door of depression. You're going to leave through the gate of victory. Can you say amen? You might have come through the door of sickness. You're going to leave through the gate of healing in this house. Can you say amen? You will not leave the way you came because he is here in residence among his people. You believe that? Now I'd like you to turn with me in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4. I want to just spend a little bit talking to you about a woman. I don't know her name because the Bible doesn't give us her name, but what she did is significant enough to be contained in the, in the volume of the inspired record for all generations. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse, beginning with verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem. And there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Let us set for him there a bed, a table, a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be, someone say, it shall be, that when he cometh to us, that he will turn in thither, or he will abide. I'd like you to go to, just skip down to verse 12. And he, the prophet, Elisha, said to Gehazi's servant, Now you call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he, the servant, Gehazi, said to her, Behold, you have been so careful with us with all this care. What is to be done for you? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king? And I got an in with the king. You want me to mention your name to the king? Or maybe to the captain or the host? She answered, I dwell among my own people. In other words, she said, I don't really need to be known. I'm satisfied to be among my own people. Then he said, what is to be done for him? Gehazi answered, she hath no child. 
and her husband is old. Verse 15, and he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, don't lie unto your handmaid. Go to verse 17, and the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said to her, according to the time of life. There's several things upon my heart for today. First of all, in these few verses, we got a pretty good portrait of quite a scenario in this woman's life. The Bible says two things about her. She's a great woman and she's a barren woman. Now, let me just start with the barrenness. It was a shame for a woman to be barren back in the Bible days. There was a greater shame to it than there is today. And not only was there a shame, I know that she carried a burden about it by how she responded to the prophet. Now, she did not request. She did not put this, impose this need, but she carried something in her heart that was deep because when she received prophecy that she was going to conceive, her immediate response was, she didn't say, Yay, Lord! Woo! I got a word! She said, Don't you lie to me. And you know what I hear in that? A lot of disappointment. Because throughout the years, she had no reason to believe she'd never have a child. But this is a woman with a barren life, disappointed deeply over the state of her barrenness. But you need to know that first because it never was an issue for her ministry to the man of God. She didn't give to get. There was a purity in her giving simply because of who she perceived him to be and the desire she had with what he was, who he was, and how she had to have that and him in her house. The result of that cured her barrenness. Now, I want to release that because... The Lord wants to take away. There's people here that have carried pain for years over your barren condition. And the Lord wants to remove the pain of that because he wants to bring life out of your life that you never thought could ever occur. But it's not going to simply be a miracle to target it, it's going to be the result of something that transacts between you and God in your relationship with Him, going to heal your barrenness. How many desire to bear fruit? How many desire to see significance come out of your life? I mean kingdom significance. How many have ever felt like maybe because of a combination of the decisions you made, the way that you've walked years ago, that it's a little too late for anything of significance to occur. And what's happened is you basically learn to live with a survival mentality. A survival mentality is basically a poverty mentality because you're willing to settle for just enough. 
But I'm telling you that God wants to baptize you with a new mentality in the kingdom of God because he's the God that's more than enough. Can you say amen? And I'm not just talking about dollars and cents. I'm talking about a mindset concerning every area of your life where there's a maximum expectation for maximum fruitfulness and it's not because of what God has to work with, it's because of who he is. He could do that working with nothing. Can you say amen? In fact, the only thing I brought to the table was deficiency. The only thing I brought to the table was liability. That's the only thing I brought to the table. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I do know that two plus two equals four, and it's two plus two equals four in America, in China, in every nation. It's a fixed law. Two, you got two things, add two things, you're gonna end up on the other side of the equal, on the other side of the equal sign with four things. Isn't that right? What's four plus four? That equals eight. And so I realized, and they call those components factors. Those are factors. And so I realized in every life, there are factors in our life that has limited your idea of what could ever wind up on the other side of the equal sign for your life. Because there's been drugs factored in your life. There's been a whole lot of pain factored in your life. There's been a whole lot of mistakes factored in your life. And so because those are the factors, you think that there's only could be a certain outcome. But let me tell you something. The day Jesus got factored into my equation, woo! when Christ entered the equation of my life, omnipotence stepped in. And because omnipotence got factored into my life, what he made possible on the other side of the equal sign doesn't make sense. Can you say amen? I'm telling you, God's got plans for, for you, and there's a number of you God's got plans for that if you'll just let him be truly factored in that marriage truly factored in that life, truly factored into your finances. He gonna give you something on the other side of that equal sign that only God can get the glory for. Can you say amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, God was about to give her something on the other side of an equal sign that there was no way she was able to produce. And the man, he's now old, he can't produce it. And sometimes, you know, God has got to wait till things are good and dead. I mean, good and dead. So that he'll get all the glory. Someone said to me, hey, what do you think about all the problems in our nation? I mean, at every turn, what do you think about that? I said, I'll tell you what I think about that. I think that's when God does his best work. He does his best work when it's the midnight hour. He doesn't, he'll drop a prophet in the middle of a boneyard. Come on. 
that's filled with death and division. And he'll say to that prophet, can these bones live? And there's nothing in that boneyard that has even a minuscule expression of potential. He said, I looked round about and the bones were dry and they were very dry. There was nothing that said life anywhere. So God, I guess I gotta go to another place. God said, oh no, prophesy to those bones. Put my word in that death. Put my word in that situation. He said, so I prophesied as I was commanded, not because I believed, I just was commanded, so I spoke. And as I prophesied, behold, there was a great shaking. A new noise was introduced in Death Valley, a noise of life. Things were coming together. Things stood up and a mighty army stood up. My God, that's what God's word will do. Hallelujah. I've come to prophesy. I'm prophesying now. Hallelujah. Now, one of the things we've got to appreciate is that when Adam sinned, hallelujah. Now, look, I'm say, is he a preacher or a teacher? I'm both. I'm going to be teaching, teaching, teaching today. When Adam sinned, and he partook of the tree that many of us continue to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God no longer, that's what happened in America, I'll tell you right now. It's no complex issue. We are living Romans 1. We did not want to retain God in our knowledge. And so the foolish heart became darkened in America. I'm talking in America. And so as a result, the downward debauchery of man occurred over these years so much so that even against nature, men burning for other men, women doing those things that are not right, not convenient. You see, you take God out of knowledge. I'm not talking Sunday school, a knowledge of God. That you get in church. I'm talking about God in every aspect of knowledge. I mean, we've got to be able to worship the God that put the stars in orbit as much as we serve the, we worship the God that saved my soul. He's not just Redeemer. Come on, he's the creator of all things. He's the God of mathematics. He is the God of history. He's the God of science. And when we kick God out of school and kick prayer out of school and kick these things out of school, 1963 is the year. Within 10 years, we're killing babies in a womb. That's what happens. You kick God out, then the sanctity of life. 10 years after that, 15 years after that, we start saying that homosexuality is an alternative lifestyle. And then a few years after that, we say, in fact, you can have two men married, and that's a family. The sanctity of family goes away. See? Foolish heart becomes darkened. Professing themselves wise, they become fools. Fifteen years after that, and you can't even tell the difference between a male child and a female. Gender confusion. See, when you kick God out of your knowledge, you go insane. It's crazy. 
So what's the answer? We got to get back to God. The answer's not in the White House, it's in the church house. It's in your house, in my house. Can you say amen? When Adam sinned and he, and he partook of that tree, stay with me, God no longer became the only reference by which all of life was defined. That's how man was to live. In fellowship with God, God would define for him what's right, what's wrong. God, what God says. Man reached to another reference, the knowledge of good and evil within himself. And now, worshiping the creator, creation more than the creator, now man becomes his own reference point as to what's right and wrong. And God said, the day you eat of that tree, it's going to result in die. You will surely die. But let me tell you what happened immediately. A separation came in their fellowship. Isaiah put it this way, your sins have separated you. From God. So there was this chasm. We were never ordained to live outside of fellowship with God. When there's no fellowship with God, we were created with a capacity to relate to God. Hear me. The plants are given a body. The animals are given a body and a soul. That's why you can relate to your dog, because you got a soul. And at the emotional level, there's a connection with your, with your pet. But we were given spirit, soul, and body. I was given, we were uniquely made in the image and likeness of God and given the capacity to be able to relate to God who is spirit and then become under that relationship, become the creation of God that would be able to be the divine communicator within the scheme of creation to make sure the will of God is done in earth as it is in heaven. Man was the key to make sure everything would be in alignment as God intended. And so we find that there is this gap and then God separated unto himself a man, Abraham, through which he was going to make covenant because God already had the answer to man's problem. And then God separated himself a people and a nation, Israel, and God gave Israel a pattern, hear me, when they came out of Egypt and they came then into the wilderness, God gave Moses a pattern so that God might dwell in the midst. So we see the gap closing from when Adam was hiding, when he heard the voice of God, I heard thy voice and I was afraid, to God dwelling now in the midst of a nation and then those blessed words in John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among. And for three and a half years, God was in Christ. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God was in Christ working with man, working with those he's chosen. And so we find the gap closing and closing and closing. But you need to understand the possibilities that have been afforded us for where we live in this glorious new covenant. But then Jesus, with the cross before him, has a last supper with his disciples and he says things they don't want to hear. He said, my hour has come. He said, I've been with you. He said, but, he said, now 
He said, I'm going to send another comforter. I must go. If I don't go, the comforter will not come. They didn't want to hear that. They left everything to be with him. Everywhere he went, there was the sign and the signature of divine favor. Sick people were healed. Lepers were cleansed. Dead people got up. The power of his word, he could speak to storms and waves and winds and everything obeys him. What manner of man is this? And now he says, I've got to go for your sake. But then he says these words. He said, for the spirit of truth will come and shall not be with you. He shall be in you. Behold, I come to you. The most intimate place of all God closed the gap through the sacrifice of his son and the giving of his spirit where he is no longer to be an external event for our lives, but an internal reality that we carry with us everywhere we go all the days of our lives. And how many of God's people believe on Jesus, but they live like old covenant saints? The only thing they have of God is an event. And they always need an event, an external event, for God to demonstrate he's with them, he's real. Now, I, I understand the times of revival, but I don't need an event. You understand? There's a reality that I walk with. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This was the mystery, Paul said, that was hidden in God from before the ages of time. It was God's desire to live in men. I will be in them and I will dwell in them. I will be their God. They will be my people. There have been people today that have taken the message of grace to a great extreme. And they said, there's no longer law but grace, and I understand what they're saying, but let me tell you what happened. Paul said the law of God is holy, the law of God is spiritual. He said sin is the culprit. It's the evil that dwells in me is the culprit. Let me tell you what he did concerning the law in grace. What did he do? He wrote that law in my heart, and he wrote it in my mind. It's no longer an external law that I'm seeking to obey, engraved in stone, but he wrote it in my affection and he wrote it in my desire. He changed my desires so that I love righteousness. Come on now. I love the things of God. That's part of, that's unique to the new covenant. The entire work of the kingdom is internal. Internal. But I see something of this woman. Now just track with me. First of all, she's a great woman. I don't know why she's great. Maybe she's wealthy. Maybe she did some great thing. I think what made her great, actually, is how she responded to this prophet is what made her great. But there was a great woman in Shunem. It fell on a day when, now who is this prophet? He represents the word of the Lord. He is the mouthpiece of God. He's got the mantle that was on Elijah. He picked up that mantle. Elijah was taken out of his sight. But how many know the mantle stayed on the earth? Just like Jesus. Jesus was taken up, but his mantle stayed on the earth. Come on, he didn't take his ministry with him. It's here in the earth. These works shall you do. Greater works than these shall you do. We're to be a continuation. I am part two to Jesus. Come on, this is the second volume. 
The book of Acts is volume two. The former treaties have I written unto you, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus both began. Someone say began. Began, began. You read the gospels, that's only the beginning. We're the second part. He's doing the same thing in a greater body. Hallelujah. The body of Christ. We're part two. It fell on a certain day when this prophet carrying the mantle, carrying the word, happened to come in this woman's town, Shunem. Now, I don't know what the specific details were, but first point is this. There was a beginning point to the relationship. There was an encounter. I'm sure there was a lot of other women there. There was a lot of other people there. They heard of Elisha. I'm sure everybody wanted Elisha. Man, would you pray for me? Maybe God will give you a little word for me. I mean, the prophet in the Old Testament, how many know they were sought after? Sure they were. But there's something that develops that indicates his preference toward this woman. And it's how she responded, and I believe we need to learn some lessons from a great woman this morning. First lesson is this. She had a beginning encounter with the word of the Lord, with the one that was represented God's presence, personified, but she wasn't satisfied with an encounter. And there are many people, that's all they're satisfied with. They just want an encounter. They'll go to a special meeting because they've got a special need. But to see them consistently in the life of the church, in the life of the fellowship, uh-uh. But you bring a prophet in, you make a few announcements, somehow they show up. Because they're living from encounter, thank you, to encounter, but I'm here to tell you that there is something greater than an encounter. But there's a beginning point. There is, thank you. She didn't just say, oh boy, what an encounter. Go home to her husband and say, man, you had to see a light. I'll tell you what, I, the mantle of God's on that man. She didn't say that. Once she had an encounter, it led to something more. She said, wait a second, mm -mm. every time he comes, I want him to visit my house. I don't want him to choose another house. I need to have more of this in my house. How many would say you want more of this in your house? All right. Well, what does this great woman teach us? She said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to feed him. I'm going to feed him. I'm going to find out what he likes. I'm going to find out and I'm going to change the menu to make sure he knows there's food in my house for him. Come on, can you say amen? You've got to learn to feed the anointing. If you want more than an external encounter and you want to live in communion and with an interaction with the power and the presence of God in your life, it's available. It's available, but you've got to learn to feed the anointing. The anointing is not just a force of power. The anointing is a blessed person. The anointing is the Holy Spirit of God. Are you feeding him? That means you become more mindful of what his delight is. And it says that when she fed him, he deliberately, whenever he came to shoot him, he said, we're going to that house. I'm going to that house. You know why? Because I know she puts on the table what I desire. Yeah, she puts on the table what I desire. She feeds me. So she would, he would go to the house. 
And they would have now, because she fed him, they went from encounter to fellowship. That's what you do when you eat together. So the relationship comes to another level. And over food, they're fellowshipping. And the more she fellowships with him, the more her desire grows that I gotta have him even more than this. Because every time I, he leaves, I want more. And so she says to her husband, now listen to me. She said, you know, we've been having such a good time with this prophet. She said, and he comes here and knows us by first name now. And there's this beautiful fellowship. She said, but that's not enough for me. You know, he scratches his head and said, well, what are you going to do? She goes, well, I'm going to renovate the house. What? Oh, yeah, you see that man cave? Kiss it goodbye because... <laughs> I'm going to renovate the house because I am not satisfied, hear me now, with fellowship. I got to have him abiding. He's going to stay here, going to live here, and I need his presence in this house. Now, that's the costliest of it all. You see, everybody wants an encounter. A lot of people want fellowship, but... Precious few are willing to pay the price to change the house. You see, you got to understand when it comes to the abiding, and that's what Jesus said. There's an abiding presence, an abiding presence that he has made available to us, but it's not without cost. It's not without cost. The encounters I've had that have been so powerful in my life have not been by my scheduled times of ministry. They have been God encounters where there was an encounter with something that's abiding in me that impacted the individual. And I can give testimony after testimony that when that occurred, I walked away so impacted more than being one of the main speakers in the last convention. As important as that is in my assignment, to be able to simply, it fell on a day, to be able to speak to this one and that one and minister to them. I don't know if I even... I don't know if it happened then. Told the story about me needing a haircut. I don't, I don't know, but one day, no, no, no. I was going to travel across country to preach. This is a few years ago. My late wife had passed, and I was going to travel across country. Did I share that here? You have new people. You need to hear this. You need to hear this. Because the only person that looks beautiful with purple hair is the woman that's going to get married today. I don't look good with purple. And the reason I say that was because I was going to go and get my hair cut and then take off for 30 days. You know, and my hair cutter, she's having a medical procedure. She's not going to be there. That was a crisis because my hair was already long at the time. I said, I need a haircut. They said, well, Kristen, Kristen's taking the appointments. Well, you come back. I said, I can't come back. So Kristen comes out and she had like three different color hair. 
Yeah, it looks sweet on her, but that wasn't going to look sweet on me. And let me tell you what happened. Kristen, the moment she opened her mouth and greeted me, I tell you, I was convicted. I'm being honest because without even conscious awareness, we're sizing up, we're judging, we're making assessments. It's like autopilot. The moment she said hello to me, there was a sound I heard that convicted me. I heard tenderness. And it's like I could hear God saying to me, man, look upon the outward, but I see the heart. And within a few moments, man, we had a beautiful exchange and this, this beautiful dialogue. And I'll never forget, Kristen, we had a full-length mirror, and Kristen asked me, she said, what do you do? Because I told her I wasn't going to be here and I'm going to be gone 30 days. Well, what do you do? And I said, well, I, I got the greatest job in all the world. She said, what do you do? I said, I tell a love story. That's what I told her. I said, everywhere I go, I tell a love story. And, you know, she kind of, I could see her in the mirror like, ooh, what's he talking about? No, I said, Chris, yeah, I go overseas. And the interpreter helps me tell those people the love story. I kept calling it the love story. So I said, you know how the love story starts? She goes, how? Oh. I said, for God so loved the world. The moment I said that, the eyes filled up. She excused herself, wiping her eyes. And then in a few moments, we were inundated in her station with something not of this world. Not of this world. And within a few moments, she, knelt, she kind of bowed down where I was because I was in the seat. I took her by the hand and prayed for her. And for the time I lived there then, there was a beautiful, whenever I'd walk in that place, she would, she'd hear me, hear my voice, she would come out and she'd say, Pastor Phil, where did you just come from? How did it go? There was this beautiful connection. You know why? Because she was cutting the hair of a man that had somebody living on the inside. Somebody's in my house. Not because I was a prophet. Not because I'm an apostle. It's because I had a house that wasn't vacant. Occupied by the one in the presence that could touch the heart of Kristen and that could impact the lives of people around me. We settle for, for things so far from what God has provided for. That's one of the reasons I so love Metro City. Because the moment you walk in, the house is occupied. The moment we went in that class, that class was occupied. There is abiding presence. And Bishop's right. Many churches still haven't opened. And I'm going to tell you, I almost feel like there's, there's a, a pruning there's some churches that shouldn't open. Because they weren't planted of the Father. And I feel like God is, he's working. He's cleansing. Judgment must begin in the house of God. How does God get a nation? If there's any hope for a nation, how will he get a nation straight? By getting the house straight. And so in a couple of moments here, I want to invite you. You say, 
Preacher, I've had encounters, I've enjoyed fellowship, but there are changes that need to be made in my house. Come on. So that he could become an occupant because I want and need and desire that abiding presence in my life. Listen, as a result of that, here's what he said to his servant. He said, now you go to the woman, Dexter. You go to the woman. And you tell her that I've been mindful of all this care. You tell her I'm mindful of how she fed me. I'm mindful of how she renovated the house and made changes so I could stay when I come into the city. It's her house I stay in. I'm mindful of all that. And you tell her, as a result, she's going to have give, she's going to give birth. Her barren condition will be taken away. In some respects, the testimony of what's going on in the nation has been an indictment against the church. And it has been, in a, we're not lack on talent, we're not lack certainly on technology, and there's nothing wrong with those, but there is something wrong when we still think we could have church and he's nowhere found in the meeting. The picture of the last day church, Laodicea, is they're having church. They say, we have needed nothing. And Jesus is knocking outside. He's knocking on the door to get in, and they're still having church. Can you imagine that? In other words, the presence of God would be a wonderful commodity, but it's not essential. Because what we could do, what we could create, yeah, what we could do, what we could create is altogether insufficient. And let me ask you this concerning your life. Is he knocking and say, listen, I've encountered you, I've touched you, I want to come into you in a new way. Stand with me to your feet. Hallelujah. Glory to God.